Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we're keeping both eyes wide open as we hit fear head on. That's right. We're standing up to fear, pushing it back and delivering an ultimatum. Show your worth in our lives or get to packing. No longer will we let the stronghold of fear hold us back from who we are meant to be, what we're meant to do, and where we're meant to go. Fear has a middle name, acceptance, and that one has to go too. We aren't accepting that because this is the way it's always been, this is the way it always has to be. Hogwash. I don't know about you, but I deserve more and won't settle for settling. Even if we can't snap our finger and dissolve fear into dust, we can make a commitment right now to each other that we will step forward to finding the why, the what, and the how. Fair enough? Ready to shake on it and get to work? Many types of fear are natural. It's what causes our body to react and take action, so a healthy dose is positive and crucial to survival. We'll be digging into the mechanics as we go along. There's also a decent amount of irrational fears, like a fear of spiders, June bugs, or balloons. These fears creep up on you, and no matter what you tell yourself, Kindle, it's a balloon, a child's party favor. How on earth can it hurt you? Your body still reacts on its own assumptions. But the fear we're going to dive into is the persistent fear that cripples you, keeps you from achieving your true potential or even a normal life. The one that smothers you in self-doubt, anxiety, and shame. That feeling whose unwelcome visits come at the worst possible times. Are you feeling a spotlight pointed on you as you shake your head in agreeance? Well, no judgment here. In fact, nice to meet you. Fear, it's time for you to go. We can deliver on that threat only when we gain more knowledge on the subject. So, Arash Javan Baket and Linda Saab tell us what happens in the brain when we feel fear, found at smithsonianmag.com. Fear may be as old as life on earth. It's a fundamental, deeply wired reaction evolved over the history of biology to protect organisms against perceived threat in their integrity or existence. Fear may be as simple as a cringe of an antenna in a snail that is touched, or as complex as existential anxiety in a human. Whether we love or hate to experience fear, It's hard to deny that we certainly revere it, devoting an entire holiday to the celebration of fear. Thinking about the circuitry of the brain and human psychology, some of the main chemicals that contribute to the fight-or-flight response are also involved in other positive emotional states, such as happiness and excitement. So, it makes sense that the high arousal state we experience during a scare may also be experienced in more positive light. But what makes the difference between getting a rush and feeling completely terrorized? 
These are psychiatrists who treat fear and study its neurobiology. Their studies and clinical interactions, as well as those of others, suggest that a major factor in how we experience fear has to do with the context. When our thinking brain gives feedback to our emotional brain and we perceive ourselves as being in a safe space, we can then quickly shift the way we experience the high arousal state, going from one of fear to one of enjoyment or excitement. When you enter a haunted house during Halloween season, for example, anticipating a ghoul jumping out at you and knowing it isn't really a threat, you're able to quickly relabel that experience. In contrast, if you were walking in a dark alley at night and a stranger began chasing you, both your emotional and thinking areas of the brain would be in agreement that the situation is dangerous and it's time to flee. But how does your brain do this? The fear reaction starts in the brain and spreads through the body to make adjustments for the best defenses or flight action. The fear response starts in a region of the brain called the amygdala. This almond-shaped set of nuclei in the temporal lobe of the brain is dedicated to detecting the emotional salience of the stimuli, how much something stands out to us. For example, the amygdala activates whenever we see a human face with an emotion. This reaction is more pronounced with anger and fear. A threat stimulus such as the sight of a predator triggers a fear response in the amygdala, which activates areas involved in preparation for motor functions involved in fight or flight. It also triggers the release of stress hormones and the sympathetic nervous system. This leads to bodily changes that prepare us to be more efficient in a danger. The brain becomes hyper alert, pupils dilate, the bronchia dilate, and breathing accelerates. Heart rate and blood pressure rise, blood flow and stream of glucose to the skeletal muscles increase. Organs not vital in survival, such as the gastrointestinal system, slow down. A part of the brain called the hippocampus is closely connected with the amygdala. The hippocampus and prefrontal cortex help the brain interpret the perceived threat. They're involved in a high-level processing of context, which helps a person know whether the perceived threat is real. For instance, seeing a lion in the wild can trigger a strong fear reaction, but the response to a view of the same lion at a zoo is much more curiosity and thinking that the lion is cute. This is because the hippocampus and the frontal cortex process contextual information and inhibitory pathways dampen the amygdala fear response and its downstream results. Basically, our thinking circuitry of the brain reassures our emotional areas that we're in fact okay. to other animals, we very often learn fear through personal experiences, such as being attacked by an aggressive dog or observing other humans being attacked by aggressive dogs. However, the evolutionary unique and fascinating way of learning in humans is through instruction. We learn from spoken words or written notes. If a sign says the dog is dangerous, proximity to the dog will trigger a fear response. We learn safety in a similar fashion. 
experiencing a domesticated dog, observing other people safely interacting with the dog, or reading a sign that says, dog is friendly. Fear creates distraction, which can be a positive experience. When something scary happens at the moment, we're on high alert and not preoccupied with other things that might be on our mind, like getting in trouble at work or worrying about a big test the next day. Which brings us to the here and now. Furthermore, when we experience these frightening things with the people in our lives, we often find that emotions can be contagious in a positive way. We're social creatures, able to learn from one another. So when you look over to your friend at a haunted house and she's quickly gone from screaming to laughing, socially you're able to pick up on that emotional state, which can positively influence your own. While each of these factors, context, distraction, social learning, have the potential to influence the way we experience fear, a common theme that connects all of them is our sense of control. When we're able to recognize what is and isn't a real threat, relabel an experience, and enjoy the thrill of the moment, we're ultimately at a place where we feel in control. The perception of control is vital to how we experience and respond to fear. When we overcome the initial fight or flight rush, we're often left feeling satisfied, reassured of our safety, and more confident in our ability to confront the things that initially scared us. It's important to keep in mind that everyone is different with a unique sense of what we find scary or enjoyable. This raises yet another question. While many can enjoy a good fright, why might others downright hate it? Any imbalance between excitement caused by fear in the animal brain and the sense of control in the contextual human brain may cause too much or not enough excitement. If the individual perceives the experience as too real, an extreme fear response can overcome the sense of control over the situation. This may happen even in those who do love scary experiences. They may enjoy Freddy Krueger movies, but be too terrified by The Exorcist, as they feel it's too real, and fear response is not modulated by the cortical brain. On the other hand, if the experience is not triggering enough to the emotional brain, or if it's too unreal to the thinking cognitive brain, the experience can end up feeling boring. A biologist who cannot tune down their cognitive brain from analyzing all of the bodily things that are realistically impossible in a zombie movie may not be able to enjoy The Walking Dead as much as another person. So if the emotional brain is too terrified and the cognitive brain helpless, or if the emotional brain is bored, and the cognitive brain is too suppressing, scary movies and experiences may not be as fun. <laughs> but all fun aside, abnormal levels of fear and anxiety can lead to significant distress and dysfunction and limit a person's ability for success and joy of life. Nearly one in four people experience a form of anxiety disorder during their lives, and nearly 8% experience post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. Disorders of anxiety and fear include phobias, social phobia, generalized anxiety disorder, separation anxiety, PTSD, 
and obsessive compulsive disorder. These conditions usually begin at a young age and without appropriate treatment can become chronic and debilitating and affect a person's life trajectory. The good news is that we have effective treatments that work in a relatively short time period in the form of psychotherapy and medications. I, for one, am not a thrill seeker. I don't necessarily like it when my heart's racing and my stomach feels like the bottom fell out. If I feel uneasy about heights, I'm not compelled to bungee jump just to conquer that fear. So even though I'm not advocating that, I must say, I don't like to feel stuck. I don't want to feel down, depressed, or defeated. If a fear of something is causing this roadblock in my life, I do feel compelled to get to the bottom of it. So with that said, let's keep going and get to the bottom of it. Dr. Matt James takes us six steps further with six signs that fear is holding you back, found at psychologytoday.com. Helen Keller said, Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. The fearful are caught as often as the bold. These days, fear has become big business rather than a helpful, valuable resource. We live in a climate fueled by fear. Wouldn't you agree? The media manipulates fear to earn higher ratings with headlines like, Will Ebola hit your neighborhood? While merchandisers tap our fears to sell products. Politicians stir up fears to accumulate votes. Religious leaders employ fear to keep flocks in line. And parents wield fear to keep kids from misbehaving. Fear is woven into the fabric of our lives, perhaps affecting modern adults even more than it did our caveman ancestors. A recent article in the New York Observer recently claimed that fear is the new normal. Fear influences the choices we make, yet making decisions motivated by fear is flawed, if not dangerous. It will never lead to the healthy, fulfilling lives we crave. What is the primary motivating factor in your life? Here are six clues that you may be fueled by fear, not freedom. Fear sees only the downside. While nearly every choice has an upside and a downside, someone in a fearful state only identifies the worst that could happen. Considering a blind date, it might be awkward or boring. Have an opportunity for a new job? You might not be qualified because it's too difficult. Like the addictive gambler who sees only wealth and riches as he approaches the roulette wheel, fear sees only failure and pain. Fear doesn't let you stop to think it through. Fear tells you to react immediately. If a woolly mammoth were chasing an early human ancestor, this response could save a life. But today, when you're trying to decide whether to accept a lowball offer on your house or to have a particular medical procedure, stepping back to analyze the options is a good thing. Fear tells us to avoid anything new or unknown. Whereas fear used to appear only in a response to real threats of survival, now its alarm sounds whenever we stick our toe outside of our comfort zone. Fear prefers that we stay in a familiar, even if painful, situation, rather than step into the unknown. For example, 
fear could dictate that we stay in an abusive relationship or a dead-end job. Fear constricts rather than expands who we are. Fear tells us not to smile at strangers or speak our opinions too loudly. Instead of pushing our boundaries, fear encourages us to avoid any potential failure or rejection. For example, we should not write that book, ask for that date, or apply for that promotion. If it were up to fear, we would hide in bed instead of growing into what we could be. Fear obscures your intuition. Great decision makers often talk about trusting their gut instincts. There's no room for that small, still voice when fear is present. All you can hear are the spiraling thoughts coursing through your mind. When you're consumed with fear, gut instincts are hard, if not impossible, to recognize. Fear often keeps us from making any decision at all. A wise person once said, choose a path or a path will be chosen for you. Fear is the root of some people's decidophobia, the fear of making decisions. While most individuals do not freeze in the face of any choice, fear keeps many second-guessing themselves into avoiding decisions whenever they can. Of course, no decision at all becomes a decision. If fear dictates your decisions, what can you do? First, recognize when you're coming from fear. Give yourself time and space to hear other voices besides fears in any decision. Consider making a concrete list of the pros and cons in any given situation. Then wait until you're in a better place to make whatever decision you need to make. In Neuro Linguistic Programming, NLP, we call that better state a resourceful state. When you feel strong, capable, and clear. If the fear persists, get help to release it. Fear that is chronic and unwarranted stems from a previous root cause event that is captive in the unconscious. Using something like the mental-emotional release process can rid you of that inappropriate fear and allow you to make empowered decisions. Make your next decision from a place of freedom. As Marcus Aurelius said, It is not death that a man should fear, but he should fear never beginning to live. Okay, let's pull in for a pit stop on our journey to finding a fear-free solution. Have you ever heard of the power of suggestion? Maybe you've heard, what you seek, you shall find. Fear can be easily handed to us as an ember, and with a little fuel, we can have a full-on fire that is out of control. The media is notorious for sending out spark after spark. But in the power of suggestion is also your power of perception. You can reject these notions and do your own discovery. You can push back, unplug, and step away. Shock and awe have always sold better than oohs and ahs. Dr. Deborah Serrani, a licensed psychologist and an award-winning author of Living with Depression, 
Depression of Your Child, A Guide for Parents and Caregivers, and Depression in Later Life exposes this phenomenon with If It Bleeds, It Leads, Understanding Fear-Based Media, found at psychologytoday.com. News is a money-making industry. We all know this. One that doesn't always make the goal to report the facts accurately. Gone are the days of tuning in to be informed straightforwardly about local and national news. In truth, watching the news can be a psychologically risky pursuit, which can undermine your mental and physical health. Fear-based news stories prey on the anxieties we all have and then hold us hostage. Being glued to the television, reading the paper, or surfing the internet increases ratings and market shares. But it also raises the probability of depression relapse. In previous decades, the journalistic mission was to report the news as it actually happened, with fairness, balance, and integrity. However, capitalistic motives associated with journalism have forced much of today's television news to look at the spectacular, the stirring, and the controversial as news stories. It's no longer a race to break the story first or get the facts straight. Instead, it's to acquire good ratings in order to get advertisers so that profits soar. News programming uses a hierarchy of if it bleeds, it leads. Fear-based news programming has two aims. The first is to grab the viewer's attention. In the news media, this is called the teaser. The second aim is to persuade the viewer that the solution for reducing the identified fear will be in the news story. If a teaser asks, what's in your tap water that you need to know about? A viewer will likely tune in to get the up-to-date information to ensure safety. The success of fear-based news relies on presenting dramatic anecdotes in place of scientific evidence, promoting isolated events as trends, depicting categories of people as dangerous, and replacing optimism with fantastical thinking. News conglomerates who want to achieve this use media logic by tweaking the rhythm, grammar, and presentation format of news stories to elicit the greatest impact. Did you know that some news stations work with consultants who offer fear-based topics that are prescripted, outlined with point-of-view shots, and have experts at the ready? This practice is known as stunting or just-add-water reporting. Often these practices present misleading information and promote anxiety in the viewer. Another pattern in newscast is the breaking news story doesn't go beyond a surface level. The need to get the story to get the ratings often causes reporters to bypass thorough fact-checking. As the first story develops to a second level in later reports, the reporter corrects the inaccuracies and misleading elements. As the process of fact-finding continually changes, so does the news story. What journalists first reported with intense emotion and sensationalism is no longer accurate. What occurs psychologically for the viewer is a fragmented sense of knowing what's real, which sets off feelings of hopelessness and helplessness, experiences known to worsen depression. 
An additional practice that heightens anxiety and depression is the news station's use of the crawl. The scrolling headline ticker that appears at the bottom of the television, communicating breaking news. Individuals who watch news-based programming are likely to see one, two, or even three crawls scroll across the screen. The multitasking required to read the crawls and comprehend the actual newscast comes easy to some viewers, but others report feeling very overstimulated. Unlike the viewing experience of the past, crawls are now more prominent during entertainment programs and often serve as commercials for nightly newscasts or the upcoming weekly news magazine show. The crawls frequently contain fear-driven material. It's been said that fear-based media has become a staple of our pop culture. The distressing fallout from this trend is that children and adults who are exposed to media are more likely than others to feel that their neighborhoods and communities are unsafe, believe that crime rates are on the rise, overestimate their odds of becoming a victim, consider the world to be a dangerous place. News media needs to return to a sense of proportion, conscience, and most important, truth-telling. Until that happens, help inoculate yourself against feeling overwhelmed by doing the following. Consider limiting your exposure to media. Give yourself a set time once or twice a day to check in on local or global happenings. Consider choosing print media for your information gathering rather than visual media. This can reduce the likelihood that you get exposed to emotionally laden material. Remember, you have the power to turn off the remote, leave a website, or change the radio station. Don't let yourself be passive when you feel media is overwhelming you. Know that other people will have different tolerance for media stories and their details. If someone is exposing too much of a story for your own comfort, walk away or communicate your distress. Consider having an electronic-free day and let your sense take in the simpler things in life. Looks like we have another commitment to make to ourselves. So what are you afraid of? You've had a little windshield time to think on this journey. If you've literally been afraid to find out, you might not know yet. Oh, you get that panicky feeling that comes out of nowhere, but instead of trying to identify the root cause, you've been focusing on your reaction instead of finding out the why. Sounds reasonable, but no one gets anywhere without taking a step forward. Dr. Theotosides provides some insight into 12 common fears that keep us stuck. These everyday fears can be scarier than snakes and spiders. This is found at psychologytoday.com. If you don't already believe fear is a big deal, then heads up. Fear plays a huge role in shaping who we become. It affects the decisions we make, the answers we take, and the outcomes we achieve. Where we live who we live with, what we do for a living, who our friends are, how big our house is, our salary, our family. Fear signals threat, and as a result, it leads to avoidance. 
Avoidance, in turn, translates into evading challenges and missing opportunities for learning and growth. Eventually, it could lead to social isolation, professional stagnation, spiritual lethargy, and chronic dissatisfaction with life. This fear is the type that becomes an obstacle to growth and achievement. And that type of fear is not a single entity. It has many faces. One of the most important achievements in the neuroscience of emotions is the discovery of emotional granularity. Emotional granularity, according to Lisa Feldman Barrett, the term originator and author of How Emotions Are Made, refers to our ability to experience and describe our emotions with high precision. An example of emotional granularity is instead of thinking or saying, I'm feeling good, is to say, I'm feeling pleased with my performance. Emotional granularity is an important aspect of emotion regulation, one of the most important and rarely taught life skills. When we apply emotional granularity to fear, we get to face some of the common everyday fears that keep us stuck and prevent us from making progress and reaching our goals. And being more precise about the kind of fear we experience increases our awareness and our ability to leverage it successfully. So here are some of the most common everyday fears. See if these resonate. Number one, a fear of failure. The satisfaction that comes with pursuing a goal can be easily outweighed by the fear of failing. Preoccupied with the aftermath of failing, which according to research, includes experiencing shame disappointing others, and being bereft with a desired future. People with a fear of failing may choose to play it safe. So safe, in fact, that they choose easy goals, set lower standards, avoid challenges, and focus on cutting loss instead of making gains. Number two, fear of success. Fear of failure can undermine success, but so can a fear of success. With success comes enormous responsibility. Success makes you more visible and, as a result, more vulnerable. The expectations for continued success are higher, which means sustained and ceaseless effort is required. No time to rest, no forgiveness for failures, no room for weaknesses. And because success is a process, not a state, the pressure to maintain your title of most successful, you fill in the blank, is constant. Fear of public speaking. Fear of public speaking is often listed among the most common fears. Speaking in public is something we do daily, since speaking is our main mode of communication. But public speaking, in the traditional sense of someone on stage delivering an orientation, is rather rare. Between these two extremes, there are many more instances of having to deliver a speech or a presentation in front of an audience, whether speaking involves a class project, a professional conference, or a business meeting. And in those instances, fear of speaking in public can be debilitating. Choosing the safety of public silence instead of conquering the fear of public speaking may translate into fewer opportunities to demonstrate our abilities lower chances of promoting our ideas, and less likelihood of being seen as a leader. Which brings us to fear of rejection. This is the fear of being turned down when what you want is to be included. 
whether that means being included in the admissions list of an academic institution that we would really like to attend, in the payroll of a company that we would really like to work for, or in the dinner plans of someone we would really like to date. Rejection, research shows, is painful. To avoid the painful consequences of rejection, we may never even make the request for fear of hearing no when we really want to hear yes. Instead, we may resort to justification, rationalization, and procrastination. Needless to say, making ultra-safe choices can be a significant barrier to growth. Fear of making the wrong decision. This fear is the root of analysis paralysis. Ruminating, collecting data, analyzing the facts, collecting more data, asking others for advice, making charts, lists, and flowcharts, and hoping for some divine intervention that will make the problem go away are some of the characteristics of this fear. Eternal vacillating can have minimal consequences when the choice is what to pick on the menu at a restaurant, but can be daunting when more important life decisions have to be made. We imagine the consequences of a wrong decision to be devastating and irreversible. And what doesn't allow breaking the endless loop is when we insist on asking ourselves, am I making the right decision? Instead of asking, am I making a good decision? What about fear of other people's opinions? That's a big one. We care a good deal about what people think, as we should. Caring about other people's opinions is what maintains the social contract within a cohesive group. Knowing and respecting social norms is what makes communities stronger and safer and more stable. But excessively worrying about what other people think of our opinions or choices and our personalities is an impediment to growth and progress. What about a fear of responsibility? While some responsibilities are unavoidable, some are optional and come with a price. A promotion means more responsibilities towards the people you supervise, as well as the people you report to. Running your own business means more responsibility to your employees and your customers, as well as maintaining ongoing responsibilities to your family and your household. Being involved in community activities means more time away from your own schedule and more responsibility towards those whom you serve. Hmm, lots of responsibility. What about a fear of saying the wrong thing? Worry about giving the wrong answer, making a wrong prediction, or believing something that is not supported by evidence are some of the instances of this fear. While being wrong could simply be a result of not having the facts straight, not being fully present in the moment, or making an off-the-mark assumption when this fear kicks in, being wrong becomes something bigger. It becomes a metric for self-evaluation. It threatens to expose our weaknesses. It's proof that we're not as smart as we think, not astute enough to have the right answers, not empathetic enough to respond to other people's needs. Saying the wrong thing is perceived as embarrassing, humiliating, and disempowering, and could lead to crippling self-doubt. Fear of being exposed as an imposter. Fear of commitment. Fear of challenge, 
fear of missing out. Now, did a few stick out to you? Are we zoning in on the issue? As you know, the journey to self-discovery is rarely about the destination. Even so, identifying issues and finding solutions makes the trip so much more worthwhile. Boy, age does help a lot, doesn't it? Now, depending on your age and the stage of your life, you're either rolling your eyes or nodding as you purse your lips. Don't sweat the small stuff had to come from someone who had been there and done that. Because before you got there, there's a lot of sweating going on. Okay, okay, let's look for some solutions. I got some. Leo Babata outlines a guide to beating the fears that are holding you back, found at zenhabits.com. There is no step-by-step program to beating your fears, but here's what Leo has learned firsthand and from others. First, acknowledge your fear. This is a huge step. If you do just this today, you've done something great. Many of us have these fears, but they are at the back of our minds, unnoticed, unacknowledged, as we try to ignore them and pretend they're not there. But they are there, and they affect us every day, all our lives. So acknowledge the fear. Write it down. What's your fear? Write it on a piece of paper. Writing it down not only acknowledges that you have it, bringing it out into the light, but it internalizes that fear. It takes that fear from the dark lurking places in the back of your mind where it has power over you, out into the light of the day, outside of you, where you have power over that fear. Feel the fear. You've acknowledged it, but you're still afraid of it. You're reluctant to even have this fear, perhaps even embarrassed by it. Well, no more. Recognize that you're not alone, that we all have these fears, That we all think we might not be good enough. Repeat after me. There is nothing wrong with having this fear. Now, allow yourself to feel it. Experience it fully. Bask in this fear. It isn't as bad as you think. It's part of you, but it doesn't control you. Ask yourself, what's the worst thing that can happen? Often it's not as bad as you think. Do you have a fear of failing in a new career? What would happen if you did? You'd get another job. You'd move on. You would live. Do you fear being rejected by someone you're interested in? What would happen if you were? You'd lick your wounds. You'd find someone else who's more suited for you. You'd live. Do you fear being broke? What would happen if you were? You'd cut back on your expenses. Perhaps ask for help. You would live. Just do it. To repeat, feel, and fear, and do it anyway. To beat the fear, you have to just do it. Prepare yourself for battle. When you're going to take on an adversary, you prepare yourself, you arm yourself, and have a battle plan and train yourself. Do this in your battle against your fear. Arm yourself, have a battle plan, train yourself. If you want to be a musician, but you fear failure, practice, practice, practice. Then come up with a plan to succeed. Then get all the skills and info you need to implement the plan. And then practice some more. Be in the moment. Fear of failure and other similar fears are fears of the future. 
We get caught up in worrying about what might happen. Instead, banish all thoughts of the future. Banish even thoughts of past mistakes and failures. Now, focus on right now. Do something right now to beat your fears. It's time to run through the key highlights. Number one, when we're able to recognize what is and isn't a real threat, relabel an experience and enjoy the thrill of that moment, we're ultimately at a place where we feel in control. Number two, Abnormal levels of fear and anxiety can lead to significant stress and dysfunction and limit a person's ability for success and joy of life. Number three, fear sees only the downside. Number four, give yourself time and space to hear other voices besides fear in any decision. Number five, in the power of suggestion is also your power of perception. Number six, Remember that you have the power to turn off the remote, leave the website, or change the radio station. Number seven, first, acknowledge your fear. This is a huge first step. Number eight, take control over it by writing it down. Number nine, recognize that you're not alone, that we all have these fears, that we all think we might not be good enough. And number 10, Be in the moment. Fear of failure are fears of the future. If you want to share Encourage Mentology with a friend who needs to know they are not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit EncourageMentology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you to control your fears by understanding them. There is power in knowledge and your own perception. When armed, fight back to remove their stronghold. Freedom from fear holds your victory. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encourage Mentology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. Someone through until the path was clear. That's when I found you. How